Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. We are on part three uh, of a teaching series that we're calling Welcome to the Pageant Show. Um, and it's been a series on, we call it grandstanding, and it's a different kind of series than what we, uh, maybe what you're used to, especially if you're kind of new and have come from a different church or whatever, um, but I, I promise you that we've, we've, we've done more serious series in the, in the past, and we just got finished with doing a six-week series on the Bible, and so I felt like, okay, we've done series on truth a lot, we do them on, on beauty, on wonder, uh, and then occasionally ones on what we would call just wisdom pieces, and, and it, it makes sense, it fits within the paradigm of kind of the Bible in terms of, in the Bible, you've got law, you've got prophecy. You got everything, and then you just got some writings of just some. Here's some thoughts about how to do life. Uh, it shows up in the Old Testament. There's actually a section uh, on wisdom, and the New Testament. You see a lot of uh, Paul's writing and his letters to different churches, offering yes, some doctrine, but then also a lot of times, hey, here's what I think you should do. Here's my opinion on some stuff. Paul would go even as far as saying, these are my words, not the Lord's, when I'm kind of offering you this, or I wish I wouldn't have done this. I baptized some of you, but not all of you. Uh, some of you say this and that, but I'm just trying fighting for unity. This idea of just here's some stuff to live wisely is, is a big thing. Even one of the Proverbs uh, that, 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 is, that is, was pretty famous for a lot of them was uh, those who walk, uh, walk with others walk wisely, or, or, or this push towards uh, walking in wisdom and having uh, a piece of wisdom. So this has been a series on wisdom. Just a, here's an opinion on a good way to do life. I don't think that your salvation's in jeopardy if you disagree with me. Um, I don't think that uh, your eternity is dependent on whether you listen to this or do this or not. I just think like, hey man, thinking through life and thinking through what we have said is the goal of, of a weekend like this, when we gather together, what is this community? It's a community that is trying to interpret uh, through scripture and through life and taking into account theology, taking into account culture. How do we mesh these two things together to figure out what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus? in the Tri-Cities in 2023. And a lot of that has to do with this idea of wisdom. And so that, that's what this series has been about. It's been a short uh, a short series for that reason uh, too, just because I think it's kind of awkward and, and, and different, but it's been fun and I appreciate you kind of coming along uh, with me on this. The, um, the, the big tagline of it has been a series on grandstanding, a word that you may or may not be familiar with. If you're into politics um, and you love like reading you know, up on politics, then you've probably heard this word before um, and you, you've seen it implemented and you have a revulsion towards it in the first place. But grandstanding is essentially, the here's how we've defined it for the sake of this series, the use of moral talk for self-promotion. And we defined moral talk as any sort of talk that has to do with words like should, ought, ought not, should never. Um, it's when we cast opinions on whether we should think good about somebody who has done something in society or, or, or badly or um, decisions or, pol- you know, decisions that have come out and are being put forth to law and not any time that you begin to talk about whether that bill should be passed or that politician should be elected or we ought not to do that or if you've ever been on a jury and you've heard a case and what do we ought to what ought we do here um, that's all kind of moral talk and moral talk is inherently good it's the way we establish ourselves and it's the way we define for ourselves what is going to be our morality structure you inherited one from your parents but my guess is your morality structure looks a little bit different or perhaps a lot different depending 
depending on your upbringing, uh, than the uh, moral uh, uh, framework that your parents had. And how did you get to that? You got to that through the use of moral talk. Other people's, you know, I'm reading other people's moral talk. I'm having dialogues uh, around the dinner table, around a campfire with people who I, I respect their moral opinion. So I'm factoring that into it. So moral talk is good. However, like everything, there can be a dark side to things. You know, things are good. And then evil is oftentimes just uh, not the, uh, it's the distortion of something that's good. Uh, and so there's a distortion level that comes with this idea of moral talk when we use it for what we would call self-promotion. When I use, when I leverage me saying, I'm taking a position on what I ought to do, and I'm doing it not in a way that actually sees any sort of practical benefit from having that conversation, but simply for positioning myself so that you think better of me. I want you to make, I want to make sure that you don't think of me as somebody who's morally average, right? And we said that at the very week one of this series, um, the odds are in this room, we're a bunch of people who are morally average and nobody likes to be told that. Everybody's like, well, listen, man, I'm not, maybe I saw some people coming in. You might be right about a few of them, but for me, uh, morally average is not, that's not, I don't wanna be known as that. I wanna be, I wanna be above, if there's a spectrum and it's right in the middle, I wanna be like, you know, on, to the right of that. I wanna be uh, above morally average. I want you to think of me as, somebody who's just a good person, right? And so um, this is what we said in defining these things. I want you to think of me as morally impressive. I want you to be impressed with my morality. And I'm speaking to that as your pastor, because that should be especially true as your pastor. I would hopefully, I would hope that you don't think of your pastor as morally sub-average ever. You know what I mean? Like this would be a position where average would be like basement level, right? Um, I would hope that it would be more than that. Um, and, and that's true. And so we all, we live what's called, what, what psychologists call a recognition desire. We want to be recognized as somebody who is morally impressive. And number two, I leverage public discourse to achieve my goal. The best way that we found out to be able to make sure that this happens and this is achieved and this desire is, is, is consummated is by leveraging public discourse, by making sure I'm making public statements towards things. And when I say public statements, you may or may not have a platform. Uh, for be able to hear your voice. And so a lot of times it falls down into, uh, in this era of social media, our social media pages. This is the way that we promote ourselves. We used to be like, well, I have a flag in my driveway. I, I put flags out for 4th of July. I, I take off my hat at the national anthems at games. I, I do all kinds of different things to make sure that you know I'm patriotic. And now with social media, we have an even expanding platform to make sure that we are leveraging public discourse to prove to people that we are not morally average, that we are above that, we are morally impressive. And so that is what we've said is grandstand. It's a, it's a side effect of, of this idea of moral talk. Another way of saying it is that grandstanders use moral talk to look good. Um, and oftentimes when we do it, we do it in scenarios. We, the way that we leverage public discourse is we, we, we see something that we, that we want to, you know, we want to make sure that everybody knows this is morally reprehensible, even to somebody like me. So we pile on, we add on, we trump up accusations for. And when we are doing this, when we're leveraging this public discourse, so many times we are only saying this to our already convinced friends or to our already established in-group. We are further affirming our shared beliefs and letting people know, I'm against all the things that you're against, and I'm for all the things that you're for. We rarely do this in neutral or hostile territory. Most grandstanding is done with your circle of friends who you've you know, selected and added and, and through COVID eliminated and, and siphoned that list down on who could see your stuff, right? And so now what you have most of the time are people who 
are like you who like you, and then you make statements to them to be like, now I'm grandstanding to them to be able to position. It's, it's a, sometimes, at its worst, it's an excuse to feel like we've done something. When we are able to post something about something or someone or some bill or some law or some this or some school curriculum or whatever, uh, we post something to feel like we've participated in this conversation, that we've done something, uh, even though you know we, we, all we've really done is just position ourselves in the eyes of other people. So the most obvious arena is a lot of times politics, as I mentioned earlier. That's the word that gets kind of thrown around. We, we, we look at politicians we don't like who make statements. We're like, they're just grandstanding. They're just... They're, they're just catering to their base and it turns us completely off from the whole politics thing or whatever or you know isolates us and polarizes us uh, even further and so we when we, in, in the arena of politics we said it's very obvious it's almost too obvious sometimes and what we have figured out is that we individually and, and I, I say this collectively as, as a people have gotten very good at being strategic about having to do this internally for ourselves so that it doesn't seem cheesy and it doesn't seem like we're grandstanding because nobody wants to come across as a grandstander and so we become strategic instead of saying things directly we say things indirectly we preface statements with something like this as somebody who cares about this country i just feel like i want to say you know whatever and that we're, we're we're setting the stage just so you know as someone who cares for the poor perhaps more than the people in this room i just want to say right and immediately what we've done is removed any doubt about our moral standing and kind of made ourselves. And, it, and if we're not attuned to it and if we're not aware of it, we just let this thing go. And, and maybe even as I'm talking, you, you can identify people in your life. You're like, that's what it is. That's what they do. I knew there was something about the way that they talk or, or do life or post things and it's rubbed me the wrong way and I've never been able to maybe put my finger on it, but, but that's what's going on. That's what's happening, and, and we live in that way, and, and these people, uh, and these people, I, I don't want to cast us off as, <laughs> like, let's be against everybody else. What we've said from the very beginning is most important to identify the grandstanding tendencies within ourselves rather than point the flaws out in other people. The thing that's in me is, again, heaven forbid, somebody think, think of me as morally average. And so we said, in all of that, welcome to the pageant show, right? Life, uh, as Shakespeare says it in, in uh, As You Like It, uh, all the world's a stage, uh, to some degree, uh, the, what, what we do every single day and the way that we work, the way that we interact with uh, neighbors and interact with uh, coworkers and, and friends, um, there is a stage element to life that I'm projecting something about me that I'm hoping that you like. And it can seem innocent, <clears throat> but as we kind of discovered a little bit last week, that there are some uh, harmful effects because it can be like, what's the harm in grandstanding. Well, sometimes the harm is that we can do two things to different people. We can showcase people's flaws. We can take somebody who is, um, who has definitely crossed moral boundaries. Uh, we can, uh, we, we read about them in the paper. We read about them in the news. We share links and we say, this person needs to go to jail. This per, I hope that there's justice served. I hope that whatever. And we, we, we take somebody, we showcase them. We go, it, and we, we, we say, you know, to a large group of people, isn't this terrible? And we would all agree. This is what he or she did was morally repugnant or whatever. Uh, and so, and, and, we're, we don't even know this person. We don't even know the situation. We don't know the whole truth about it, but we just know it's easy pickings. And so we throw it out there and we showcase things and we, and we cause it, it's really, a, it's a disrespect for people. We've said this, that, that um, as Christians, uh, the reason that we think that everybody deserves a, a level of respect is because we're all created in the image of God. 
that, that we all live innately with this idea that everyone deserves you know, respect or a, some level of, of respect. But as, as Christians, it's especially true because of our nature as being created in God's image. So when we showcase and we highlight people's flaws and do that to make ourselves feel better about something, it's really, it's disrespecting them. And it's not really, I don't think God's up there proud of us. I'm so proud that you pointed out this flaw in these other people. I think he's probably up there going, um, hey, you know, I'm not, I don't want to justify that sort of behavior, but um, you've got some of your own stuff to kind of work through in, in that way. And then, and then oftentimes that leads us to the second part, the second flaw uh, that, that comes with grandstanding. Why is it not neutral? Why is it you know, not safe to be able to do? Oftentimes we're covering up some flaws in our own life, that there's a level of deceit going on, that I'm trying to prove to you something that's not actually true of myself. And that sometimes we've seen this too, that um, somebody who's oftentimes the loudest about something on a public platform is often struggling with some of the ramifications of it behind the scenes. Sometimes it comes out, sometimes it doesn't, but deceit has, an, uh, has a big place uh, to play in this. And the beauty of this series and the beauty of this kind of talk in terms of living wisely and, and operating this way is that even if you're not really like a religious person and you know somebody, uh, you were in town for a graduation and then you just kind of came and, and they promised lunch afterwards and bribed you with uh, whatever, uh, one, we're glad you're here. Um, and the, the beauty of it is you don't have to be uh, religiously motivated to find some value in saying there's flaws in this sort of behavior and I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my kids. Um, but if you're a Christian, it's especially true because Paul writes a letter to the Ephesian church and he talks about their identity in Christ. And if your life has been changed because of who Jesus was and what he means to you, then it's going to have some implications in the way that you behave in the way that you do life. And one of those implications is gonna be in your speech, in the things that you say, in the words that you say, and not just what you say, but how you say it. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, it's been our series verse, uh, one that hopefully has been kind of stuck in your craw and, and, and um, we, we're not really a culture of memorization anymore, but um, it would be, I think, to our benefit to have things like this, to be like, oh yeah, there's like this verse that talks about, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of other people's mouths. Make sure that it doesn't. Make sure you censor all that stuff. No, my mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. Not just four-letter words, uh, not just gossip, slander, libel, all that kind of stuff. I think that, that this is included in this, and it's a, it's a sinister, sneaky one, but I think it's absolutely appropriate uh, for us to be able to leverage. All right. So moving on towards uh, kind of landing the plane and finishing this series up uh, with us. If that's, I just recapped and saved you like two weeks of material and all of that thing. But um, grandstanding is, uh, we, we've said, is a waste of energy. Uh, and not only is it uh, a waste of energy, but it can have harmful effects. It's a wisdom issue. It's wise to avoid it personally. And these, again, are probably things we knew and feel internally. Uh, we don't want this for ourselves. We don't want it for kids and we, our kids, and we don't want it for people that we care about. So what do we do about this? What are some, I'm gonna go practical examples for what we should be able to do or, or just thinking through if this is all true. If what I've said, if nothing is what I've said has been like, I don't agree with that. If everything, if you've been nodding along for the most part, 
then here are a couple of practical like handles on this thing to be able to say, what do I do with this? And then I'm gonna follow it up with a Bible story that I think is gonna highlight um, that we are not the first ones to be dealing with this sort of thing, that it has been a problem for a really long time. In fact, I think it's probably part of human nature versus, yeah, in, with the advent of social media, um, now, we, now we really have a problem. I think we've had a problem the whole time, um, but it's been different. All right, so practically speaking, what do we do with this. Number one, I think, is this. And if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. These are going to be on the notes things as well. If you, um, if you have the app or download the app or have it on your phone, there's a notes section. Anything that's on the screen is always on there. You can follow along with that. But number one is this. Simply avoid calling it out, which seems counterintuitive to everything. If you've, just, if you've been saying it so bad, and it's such a detriment to our society and, it's, uh, and it causes so much friction and polarization and politics and life and families and relationships and relationships have been broken over this. And um, like, it feels weird to be like, it's out there, but like, don't say anything about it, right? How, why would that be the, the case? How, how do I get to that spot where I would say, here's a good piece of advice, avoid calling it out. Well, here's what we know. What we know is this. People love to be given advice about their interpersonal behavioral skills. That's what we know, right? Um, they love it. They love being around you when you do. They talk so, they, they, when, when they leave a meeting with you and you've addressed uh, an issue in their behavioral skills, they think, boy, that's the kind of friend I want to be around and really position myself in it. Um, Obviously, that's not true, right? I mean, like you've been in these spots where you, you've had to go up to somebody and be like, dad, that's inappropriate. You can't say that anymore. You know what I mean? Or mom, that's, that's racist. Um, this is what makes graduation parties so great, by the way. <laughs> this weekend, it's full of multi-generational with lots of different people and just a mixture of all kinds of circles. And you're like, oh man, the fireworks are there. I love it, Right? Calling out somebody for grandstanding is generally a poor strategy. Why? Because oftentimes nobody feels like they're grandstanding. It's, a, it's again, one of those things that's difficult to spot in the mirror. We, we've said this about, anytime I do a series on, on money, um, one of the talks is usually on greed. And the problem with greed is that nobody ever feels greedy. You, look at, you know people who are greedy. You said, if you went up to them and be like, you're greedy, you're like, not me. I mean, we can always point to somebody with more wealth than us, with bigger problems and, and poorer financial decisions uh, about it. It's really, really hard to spot in the mirror. Um, no one feels greedy and nobody feels like they're grandstandy. Nobody, you point it out and people be like, no. And they would always, they'll always have a, a reason and a motivation for why they said the things that they said. Or they'll, they'll say like, in, generally it results in, by the way, counterproductive results because they'll say things like, oh, you're the one to talk, right? That's how they respond. If you, if you call people out on this, what happens is, oh, hypocrite, you're one to talk. You're trying to silence me, right? You're not letting me have my voice or denial of the actual motivations involved in it. That's not what I was doing at all. You completely misread me. How, how dare you? How dare you uh, try and interpret my motivations and do this, right? Um, and, and so it's just, honestly, generally, it's, as bad as it is, it, avoid calling it out. It's just not a productive use of your time. Instead of calling it out personally, sometimes, and, and saying, pointing it out in personal experiences, sometimes there are just better opportunities to call it out generally. Generally, like in the form of a, like a teaching series at church or something like that. That makes it a little bit more palatable for people to be like, yes, that's bad. Maybe then 
again, coming back to what does it have to say with me? What is Paul saying when he says, make sure no unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth? All right, so do you see how I just navigated that, like addressing it to you? But like, anyways, all right, moving on. Number two, engineer your situation. Number two is engineer, don't call it out. Like don't avoid that on a personal level. Number two, engineer situation. Situations we know play a major role in shaping our behavioral behavior. I love uh, behavior modification studies with psychologists saying that you're more likely to work out if you, um, put your, you know, if you put your workout clothes out the night before and you set it out, you're just like X amount percentage more likely to do this. Um, you're X amount per, uh, more likely to eat better. Um, if you are willing to spend extra money on, on good food and drink more water, you're, you're more, you know, all the, all these kind of things that are like preparing yourself for this, that, that we are bad decision makers in the moment. We give ourselves way too much credit and we think, no, I'll, I'll be fine. Like I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be good. And so we're, we, train, we have to train our, ourselves. We have to structure our life around not trusting ourselves in the moment, but setting up boundaries that are, are far in advance to be able to get us to these sorts of things. Uh, in the area of grandstanding, perhaps that's limiting the time we spend on social media, muting accounts who are reckless and lack nuance, especially in the area of, of politics, that if, every, if, if everything, if what they're saying is that everybody that is on the other side of whatever political aisle you're on is completely wrong uh, and they're never right, um, that's probably an account that deserves a little bit of a mute button once in a while, you know what I mean? Or at least a limitation of it. Um, there's no way that, that, um, that nuance doesn't play a part uh, in that to some degree. A three strikes rule. If somebody angers or annoys you three times on social media, they get out, right? You've, you've stopped following. Do something. I'm not saying make yourself an echo chamber and only follow people that like you and vote like you. I'm just saying that there are, there are sometimes different ways in which we don't engineer our situation and other people's grandstanding can get on our nerves and we just see it more and more and become more frustrated and uh, that's not the best way to do it. So figure out in my scenario, in my life, what does it look like to engineer my situation? Number three is simply this, redirect your recognition desire. Redirect your recognition desire. Wanting other people to be impressed with our moral credentials is a strong and natural desire that that is not something that's a bad thing about you. It's nice to want to be looked upon as somebody who is a moral paragon or somebody who's worth following or uh, somebody who has something to say or contribute or some, a person of character. Like that's not a bad thing to be, but finding other outlets to satisfy it rather than just simply projections on these, you know, virtual identities of ourselves or, um, not even like a, uh, even on a social media, but even on a political platform, this, I'm projecting this image of me and just getting away from that kind of stuff, finding our people instead, finding people whose opinion we actually value about ourselves, not just a general, I want general people to think of me great. Who cares? Who cares what they think? You have people in your life that you should care about what they think about your character. Impress those people, like focus on that be that type of person. The problem with that is it takes more work because they see you all the time, right? And so they, there is no, you can't project, you have a high school kid, it's really hard to keep a projection up about it. I'm a really great parent that you should enjoy having a relationship with and you're lucky to have and you're the best parent a teenager can have, right? That doesn't last very long. They're around too much. They know how to get into your bedroom and house and they bother you during TV time and all of the things and they need rides everywhere, I have a 15-year-old. Can you tell? Is that, am I, am I coming too clear on that? All right. 
Finding then your people that are, are worth impressing, growing spiritually and making an actual difference. I mean, we, we, we've said this from the, from the beginning, going into the, uh, the very first part of this year, that this was gonna be our, our, our thing this year. Um, we wanna be a church. I wanna be a community that helps you find your people. We wanna help you grow spiritually. We wanna ha- make sure that you structure into your life an hour each week that I pull myself away from the, the drive of everyday existence and for a moment uh, be able to reflect, to learn, to grow, to, to hold myself accountable, to challenge myself, to take something with me and, and challenge, uh, challenge myself with it and then, and then uh, grow spiritually. Uh, or sorry, and then uh, give myself away or make an actual difference in the community. Finding things to go do, serving, figuring out a way to go volunteer somewhere um, without feeling the need to definitely post a selfie about it. (laughs) And have that be like the first thing that you do that you you get down to the mission and before the, the first food is served, it's like, hey, everybody gather in real quick. Come on, come on, everybody in here, right? You're like, could you just... Could you do something and not tell anybody? We try that. Could we do something good for the world and community and like nobody ever finds out about it? There's something very, very biblical about that. And lastly, uh, number four is withhold praise. Just speaking on a practical level, um, in terms of I'm not calling it out. I'm trying to work on my own thing. I'm trying to structure my, engineer my own situations. I'm trying to redirect my, my, my need for attention and, and my, my need for letting me know that I'm a good person and, and I've got some strategy there. And then I'm gonna, like, from an external perspective, um, I'm gonna withhold praise. I'm gonna stop liking and sharing posts that are clearly efforts at grandstanding. I'm gonna do my best to just ignore it. I'm not gonna support politicians just because they come across as one of the good guys in stupid PR stunts. Uh, when people engage in self-righteous displays at work, I'm gonna just choose to ignore it. I'm not gonna speak out against it. I'm just gonna be like, whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If I don't give people credit for their attention-seeking, it's amazing uh, what begins to happen. If more of us withheld our praise for grandstanding, it might be clear uh, or more clear that it doesn't pay and that it's not worth their time. That would be some practical steps towards this. Now, I wanna talk real quick about a story of somebody who in scripture, I think, nailed this and got this right. I've been reading through the Old Testament this last uh, year or so um, through a, a translation that I've been really, really enjoying. I just finished the book of Daniel. And as I'm reading this series, and I, I didn't even know I was going to close with this in, in, as part of the series, but as I was reading through it, the way that Daniel lived and operated um, was such a testament to the antithesis of grandstanding that as I read it, I was like, man, that's that's the goal. That's what that's what it really needs to look like. In Daniel chapter six, um, Daniel was uh, one of the people who, uh, as kind of the Jewish lore has it, uh, Babylon comes in and takes over um, Judah and takes over the southern kingdom of Israel. And their method of doing things was to take back the best and the brightest with them back into uh, exile in their country. So it wasn't just Jerusalem and Israel that they did this to. They would have done this to. Babylon was a, a major world empire. Um, and uh, so they had done this several times, and one of the people that they take back with them is this man named Daniel, who goes on to interpret some dreams for the king and becomes a, in, in a position of, of authority because of his wisdom and uh, all of that. Um, eventually, uh, the Medes and the Persians take over, and that's kind of the world that, that, that they live in. This is now probably 
um, several years into Babylonian exile. And I think much of what we have in the Old Testament is a story of people in Babylon trying to make sense of why they ended up here and what needs to be done uh, as a nation of Israel. And, and, and how do we get back to the land that we were promised? How do we get back to the promise of where we're at? And there are uh, stories, specifically, I think Daniel and Esther are stories that were um, highlighted, created, mythic stories. And I don't say myth in terms of, I don't think that they are real. Um, I say myth in terms of it created kind of an ethos of the age. And this is kind of what we're supposed to be about. Um, and if you remember Esther's story, um, she's the one who is, uh, is brought before the king, becomes a king, and then there's this big fiasco about somebody, Mordecai, wanting to kill all of the Jews in this area. So it's, it's a way of her moral upstanding being something that saved the Jewish people. And Daniel's is going to be something similar. In both cases, in both scenarios, it really highlights somebody who, at their core, retained their identity and their faith and their religion amidst circumstances that were completely against them, and it benefited the, both them and their community. And I think it was a way of Jewish people trying to write into their own people, stand firm, keep the faith, keep our identity. Don't just fall prey to uh, adjusting so comfortably to life in Babylon that you forget where you came from and forget who you are. And so I think when you read these, uh, these books, uh, Esther, uh, Ruth, uh, Daniel, these writings, um, that that's kind of the message that comes across. So in this scenario, this is, again, Jewish people trying to, this is a highlight of a story of somebody who got it, all right? It pleased Darius, who uh, was, would have been king uh, at that time, who succeeded after Nebuchadnezzar, and it was probably a meter Persian. There's some conflicting historical evidence about who was at this in, in this time. Appointed 120 satraps, or governors, essentially, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So imagine a widespread kingdom with all different types of governors, and then there's three people who are really in charge, heads of state, if you will, and Daniel, a foreigner, somebody who wasn't even Babylonian or Mede or Persian, wasn't from that people group, has as high of authority position as one, you know, two, three, or four in the kingdom. It's a pretty big deal. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So imagine being one of the three and already being bitter that a foreigner has a position of authority equal to you in your one or two spots, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, the king is talking about making potentially another shift where these three are now subject to Daniel, becoming now number two in the country, a clearly established number two. And, and once again, kind of treading on their territory and really kind of making their way known. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And anytime I talk about this series, and I've, I've spoken on Daniel before plenty of times here at East Lake, I always bring up this point. They looked as hard as they could to find a flaw in the way that he conducted his affairs and could not come up with anything. How long would it take for somebody to find something about you? 
in the way that you do your job or life that would be like, ah, we found a flaw. Like a Google search, uh, a social media page, an interview with one person that you know, like how long would it take? I don't think it would take all that long for me. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's impressive to hear and, and have this be kind of the angle in which this is kind of said of, uh, of, uh, of Daniel. Verse five, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. There is one area, one perhaps um, chink in the armor of, of where we could perhaps get him, and that is in his dedication to his faith. How crazy would that be to be said about any of us, right? Wow, they're just... They, they do everything right at work. The only thing is they do pray before they eat. And there might be something there in terms of time that's on their own. It's on work time and we might be able to get them there. Like how ironic and funny would that be? That'd be hilarious. All right. Um, so verse six, uh, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and they said, may King Darius live forever. Um, buttering him up again, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. We have an idea. Issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during these next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, and that might be where you're like, oh, Daniel, like this is the story that we're familiar with, right? We know how this sort of thing goes after this. And once the, the lion's in pieces in there, if you grew up in church. Now, your majesty issued a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Again, this shows up in the book of Esther as well. Not really a, a true thing. It was almost like this like social construct of a law that a king could establish, but then never take away. Um, there's really no historical evidence for that, but it makes for a good story, right? So King Darius put the decree into writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. As soon as he heard the news, what did he do? He went home, went upstairs. And we say windows like he, uh, like he opened windows to make sure that people heard him, but it really, they, they didn't have windows like that. It would just been holes and walls. Uh, and so he goes to the spot and at some point he's, it's showing that, and this is even true in today's uh, world. A lot of times people pray towards Mecca, people pray towards Jerusalem, pray towards some sort of holy site, figure out a position, position my body in that way. Um, to kind of create a, a, an extra sense of, uh, of sacredness of the moment for this sort of thing. And this seems to have been established early on. As soon as we find ourselves in exile, we want to pray back towards Jerusalem. If we can't be there in person, at least I can be there mentally. Uh, and three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. But this right here is the key part. This next little phrase that's attached on the end that makes all of the difference in the world. Just as he had done before, that this had been a pattern established by him, that he didn't start praying when it became illegal, I'll show them. I'm gonna, I can't pray to my God. Well, now I'm going to go pray to my God. That makes me want to go pray to my God, right? He wasn't trying to make a point. He wasn't trying to grandstand. He wasn't trying to virtue signal or position himself or anything. He was already doing this. This had been a part of his behavior prior to this. And nothing changed. When the world changed around Daniel, nothing changed in Daniel's 
world. He just continued to do what he had done. Because there is a sense in which you could see, if you were a neutral observer and heard this law go out in the entire land and then observed that day uh, that, that Daniel apparently had walked away from the forum, wherever this law had been decreed, walked into his house, gone up to the windows, stood by the windows and began to pray, that there's a sense in which he's grandstanding. He's just showing him. He's just He's showboating. He's whatever. He's saying, you can't tell me what to do. I get to do whatever I want to do. But what the insight we're told in this story is this is what he's been doing for a long time, that he had had this thing established beforehand. He made the decision to start praying like this when nobody was watching and nobody cared. So that leads us to this little question of, how do, what do we do with this? I'm so fearful of grandstanding. I don't want to do that. I don't want to walk in that line. I don't want to make that thing happen. I want to come across and now I can't do it. Now I really want to do it, right? That's like a childish, don't touch that. Well, now I really want to touch that thing, right? Like what is that in us? And yet he made the decision to start praying like this when nobody was watching and nobody cared. So my question to you is when nobody's watching and nobody cares, what are you willing to do? When nobody's watching and nobody cares, when you make a decision early on, what it is that I'm gonna be about, how do I live that out? Because if I can figure that out now, then when it shows up in the presence of people, when, when the other things are around, then I know, I know deep in my heart, I'm not grandstanding. I'm not trying to prove a point. I'm not trying to impress you with my moral. I think you should make Use leverage moral talk to shape your moral framework. I think you should be a good person. I think you should do things for other people. I think you should live with a, a moral uh, upstanding. I think you should be better than morally average. I want East Lake people, I want Christians in general to be better than morally average people. But I don't want you to do it out of a sense of showboating or doing any, I just want you to do it when nobody's watching. And then we continue to do it even when people are. And in that sense and in that scenario, it won't be grandstanding. It'll be, this is who I am. I've always done this. I've always served. I've always given myself away through volunteering. I've always been generous with my money. I've always been somebody who's generous with my time. I've always been somebody who, who, who is, is racially sensitive, who, 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 who's looking for equality, who's trying to do this. I've I'm, I'm always been somebody who's doing this. When we do it, when, when we know people are watching and when people care, then, then there's questions about motivation pieces. But when we can start and we can operate before that, when we can just decide that this is what I need to do for me out of a moral obligation for myself, that's when we get to be a little bit like Daniel. And even if people and accusations are thrown us about a grandstand, we'll know, we know. Because we've done our part to not, to listen to Paul's advice, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths but only what is helpful for the building up of others and beneficial for who they are. So my prayer for you is, uh, as hopefully as a result of the series, identify the ability, the grandstanding thing that's going on in the world, structure your life to be able to avoid as much as you can. Definitely don't internalize that. Don't, you know, for the people that you love and you care about, work against that uh, and then find things to be, to, to live out uh, moral, uh, a morality that is, that is heightened, but not because of a showbutting thing, not because of something else, but because it's genuinely what you feel called to do. 
Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.